It's 2023, and a new year means, you guessed it, new taxes. We break down all the ways Uncle Sam is coming to take your hard-earned cash and how it could exacerbate a pending recession. Do you own a rental property, a home-based business, or just the home you live in? Well, your state government could be coming to take your property unless you pay the piper. Plus, America's governor and the freest state in the union continue the fight against wokeism in higher education. Forget about the Ivy League, why you might want to send your kids to college in Florida. If you pay taxes, if you have kids, if you love America, you're going to want to come along on this edition of the Midnight Ride Podcast. Let's go. It's Monday, January 23rd, 2023, and you're listening to another edition of the Midnight Ride Podcast with Connor Coughlin and Paul Runyon. I am Connor Coughlin. We'll get to Paul in just a second, but just a quick reminder, continue to spread the word about this show to like-minded conservatives or any progressive friends you want to bug, but don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening. We greatly appreciate the support, and it helps to get the word out and get our facts and information to more listeners. Let's go now to my good friend, Paul Runyon. Paul, midweek, you had a, I thought, a very fascinating edition of Midnight Chats. I enjoyed it. Other than that, how was your week? Well, it was good. You know, obviously, right after the interview, I flew off to Davos for my visit to the World Economic Forum, which (laughs) obviously, you know, that that's the Midnight Ride loves the World Economic Forum, right? We agree with them 100%. And all of our listeners, too. It was interesting to just see all of the names of the of the different people that were there. I mean, well, not only the names of the people, but the prostitutes. Did you hear about all the list of of call girls and the demand going way up in Davos during that time for paid escorts? I did not. I imagine that that these were um, not exactly streetwalkers, probably some rather high-priced prostitutes. Well, of course, Connor, you know, Davos, it's all very high class. These sure, are very high class. Very classy people that that you and I wouldn't, they wouldn't want to be seen with us. So, In a way, some of the world leaders who were in attendance, you, you could make the argument that some of them, in a way, were prostituting out their governments and, and things like that to this globalist agenda. I personally don't, when I hear the word, I just sort of cringe, but, but uh, no, never been there and uh, probably never will. John Kerry was there. Yeah, he was. He was. And this, this climate agenda is obviously one of the key things about that, I you know, I it's hard for me to pay much attention to that though, as as the uh, American West is buried under about ten inches of snow right now. Yeah, ten inches of snow, and hoping uh, people are warm and have a place to stay and a place to live, and that they're not paying forty nine thousand nine hundred and ten dollars a month in rent. So. Um. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it wasn't that interesting. You know, I mean, I, we talked about when you were off on the Runyon reset over the holidays, I talked about how weird it was that Donald Trump was charging Ivanka interest on a personal loan. And then we see Hunter Biden paying the big guy 50 grand a month rent to live at his house. Well, it was 49,910 was the actual amount. So the question is the 10% for the big guy is what percentage of that? Was the rent $910 and then 
then it was 49,000 was the, the payout from the Chinese company or whatever it was? You know, there may be a certain threshold that, that piques the interest of the IRS or investigators. Uh, we talked about with George Santos, with his investigation. For campaigns, anything above $200 is something that automatically gets the uh, FEC attention. So most of the receipts for the Santos campaign were like $199. Maybe it's something like that where Hunter Biden was trying to come in just under a threshold. But Maybe the threshold is like if you... If you take $49,911 from an enemy of the United States and give it to a vice president, then that's going to be looked at. But $49,910, that's fine. <laughs> very, very true. We want to get to just a lot of weird stuff going on to, to start 2023. We're off, you know, the, the presidential campaign for 24 is sort of underway already, and, and we'll talk about some elements of that. But for you and I, and, and for really all of the American people, you may be waking up this morning, or you woke up, you know, after you got your first pay stub of 2023, and you said, hey, wait a minute, you know, our dollars aren't going as far as they once were. We know about that. But every state in the union pretty much had new laws. January 2nd or 3rd, they, they unveiled all these new laws some of which restricted people's freedoms, some of which increased people's freedoms, depending on which state you were in. But a lot of these states and the federal government had some changes to our taxes, right? And, and I think that's what you want to get into to start off the show. Well, it was. You know, people haven't talked so much about this, but the Inflation Reduction Act really had a lot of new taxes in it. And I know that Joe Biden had promised no taxes on the middle class. And in theory, many of these taxes were not directly on the middle class, but they're going to impact the middle class. And I'm talking specifically about business taxes. And there's not a lot of love out there for big business right now, whether it's, you know, big tech, whether it's a lot of these woke corporations, whether it's Disney, you name it, Tesla, if you're on the other side, although I happen to love Tesla. As do I. I wish I could afford one. Well, they just slashed prices, I think, like close to 20% last week. So you might be able to. Okay, good. And maybe if we get a few more listeners on the Midnight Ride, <laughs> it'll be even easier. Keep giving we... those five-star ratings, people. Exactly. So I want the one you have, by the way. I want that. I want... <laughs> well, you're going to have to work really hard for that one, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> but let, let's get... I wanted to get into some of these taxes because while the Democrats tried to to position these and uh, as taxes on big business so they pay their fair share, it really is, number one, it's a tax on you and me. Because when businesses get taxed, that means their workers get paid less and it means the goods cost more. So that's, that's kind of the first piece of it. And the second piece of these taxes is that we're going into a recession. And the last thing you want to do when you're going into a recession is to increase taxes because that's going to slow down economic activity even more. So what I'm really trying to say is this Inflation Reduction Act really is a, has been a disaster. And I'm going to go through a few of these taxes right now, and maybe we can talk. I'd love to get your thoughts on some of them. But based on some estimates these new taxes are projected to cost businesses more than $100 billion in 2023, which is actually 25% of what their entire tax bill was in 2022. They, the, all businesses put together 
uh, paid about four hundred billion in taxes. This is going to add another hundred billion onto it. A twenty-five percent tax increase for businesses, and we're talking largely about small businesses. Both everything, small businesses and large businesses. So, so for large businesses, there were a few. There's so they did what's called the minimum tax on big corporations, and that is. Right now, you know, you hear these stories about how Amazon didn't pay any dollars in taxes. Some other companies didn't. Some people use write-offs to get their taxes down to 15%. This essentially says that all companies must pay a minimum tax of 21%. Uh, That's if you have a billion dollars or more in revenue. So they're really focusing on the large corporations here. You know, on the surface, I guess that sounds okay, but all that's going to do is hurt the stock price of the company. It's going to hurt people's retirement accounts. And it's really going to hurt the economy even further. A lot of people don't really think about that. There was another tax that that is came out of that act, which is for stock buybacks. Do you know how those work, Connor? Uh, no. Okay. So some business 101 here. When you're buying stock, okay, you buy like, let's say stock in... Coca-Cola, right? Or Woca-Cola, as we like to call it. So <laughs> so you're buying stock in Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola decides, well, we made some good money last year. Our stock is at a pretty good price. We have confidence in our company. Let's buy some of our own stock back. Let's use some of the earnings to buy it back. Stockholders that have this money in their retirement account, let's say they have Coca-Cola, they're essentially selling that stock back to the company. The Inflation Reduction Act has now added what's called a 1% excise tax on these sales. Paid by the corporation? Yeah, paid by the corporation. But it's really paid paid for by the investors in the the corporation. So the stockholders, which are anybody essentially with a 401k or an IRA. So that's going to add um, an extra cost. And I think it's going to prevent stock buybacks, which is also going to hurt stock prices and continue to hurt the economy. So those are two taxes on large businesses that have gone into the Inflation Reduction Act, both of which I'm not a big fan of. A few specifically on oil and gas companies, which I'd love to get your take on, and this is also going to impact consumers by increasing their energy bill. There's a $6.5 billion tax on natural gas. So uh, you heard, we were talking about the other day how- Gas stoves. Gas stoves, right? For for some reason, the Democrats are coming after natural gas. Natural gas is is the cleanest fossil fuel that there is. And it's also the most abundant. The U.S. is the biggest natural gas producer in the world, as well as the biggest natural gas exporter in the world. But for some reason, the Democrats want to destroy those industries by putting a $6.5 billion tax on natural gas, which essentially is going to get passed directly on to the individual. Every American. Every American in their energy bill. Yes. Which, by the way, in my household, I'm the one that pays the bills. And I'm noticing significant increases in the energy bills this winter. I don't know if you're seeing this. I am. And that's these new taxes that are going into effect as well as uh, inflation. So as the economy gets worse, because many experts predict that this summer we're going into recession, there could be layoffs, there could be all sorts of problems. This tax on natural gas could affect people's ability to pay their bills. Exactly. It is going to, without a doubt. I mean, in addition, 
there's a 16.4 cent per barrel tax on crude oil, which is also in this bill. So that's an additional oil tax on top of the gas tax that's going to increase your prices at the pump. And also anything that you use that has crude oil in it, that's going to raise those prices. Now, how, do, how does that work, Paul? Because, you know, as we've documented, the Biden administration has declared war not on the oil industry per se. Well, yes, on the oil industry, but not on, not on the Venezuelan oil industry or the, the Saudi oil industry or even in the early part of 2000. 22, the Russian oil industry, although they did eventually get out of that and move on to other despotic regimes to buy its oil from, but they have declared war on the American oil industry. So when you say there's a tax on crude oil, is that only for domestic production or does that extend to, you know, foreign oil providers? It's essentially anybody buying crude oil is going to have to pay a 16.4 cent tax. Okay, so like ExxonMobil or something like that? Yeah, so if they're, you know, if ExxonMobil's buying it, if the refinery is buying the oil, the crude oil to refine it, then they're going to pay a tax. So in other words, we're going to pay. Yeah, it's American companies paying the tax. And then that gets passed on to us. Exactly, that also gets passed on to us. It's sort of a, it's a very... You know, they've really done this. It's a very sneaky way of giving all Americans a tax increase. And I don't... Oh, well, can I say, there was one other one I wanted to just throw real quick that was yeah. also related to energy. Coal taxes. They've increased taxes on coal from 25 cents per ton to 55 cents per ton. And I think you know how important coal has become since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And the prices of coal have gone up. And this is going to be an additional tax, which is going to hit states like Joe Manchin's West Virginia. So hopefully when he is running again, people remember that he uh, supported the uh, increase um, on coal taxes. He helped get this, this abomination passed. Well, we've talked about Davos and the climate change agenda. And, you know, really what has happened here. I'll play devil's advocate for a second and say that, okay, the industries you mentioned, coal, natural gas, and the, you know, the oil industry, do contribute to the heating of the earth, okay? If we burn these fuels, it does contribute to that. If we, be if we believe that. If yeah. we believe that. Let's just pretend for a second that the Democrats and the people who are hardcore on this agenda, they believe that. Actually, we believe it. YouTube, if you're listening out there, we believe that. <laughs> I, I may have my fingers crossed. Don't take our episode down. We, yep. And by the way, just as an aside, Paul was right. Our talking about certain things last week, he predicted, would get our episode taken down from YouTube. It was a certain pandemic. I won't say the name of it for fear of it getting taken down again. The funny thing is, it wasn't even a violation of their principles or, or you know, their rules. And we didn't say anything controversial, but that's how sensitive they are with, you know, the quote-unquote misinformation and dis disinformation, also known as the truth. But if these people really believe that, okay, fine. But you notice that they never push nuclear power, Paul. It's, it's always these wind farms and, and solar and things like that. I don't think are going to be able to provide everything that we need 
nuclear power seems like it would be a smart way to go, but they're not pushing that. And so these, the Inflation Reduction Act, or as it should be called, the Green New Deal light, was an insidious way to accomplish their leftist agenda and punish these industries in the U.S. Mind you, they're still buying oil and fuel from despotic and other non-democratic regimes that hate us. But what Paul Runyon is trying to say, folks, is that if you think your bills are bad now, wait about five months. Exactly. It's only getting worse. Only getting worse. And there are some that are going to hit small businesses as well. So in this act, one is deduction on research and development. So so companies used to like, let's say if you spend a lot of money on R&D, let's say you're like a small company and you're doing research, you are allowed to deduct that from your um, taxes right all that year. Now you have to spread it out over five years. So that's going to make uh, make it make you pay more taxes. Also, it slashed the write-offs that businesses can take for interest on borrowed money. You know how you can deduct interest from your mortgage? Uh, businesses could also do that on borrowed money. They could write off the interest. That slashes that as well. Mm. And all of this is just crazy that even if some companies could even owe taxes, even if they don't have any taxable income, just based on their expenses. So it is pretty crazy. I mean, a lot of these taxes are going to have to get worked out. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think it's bad for the country. I think it's bad for the individual. And people have gotten, there has been a tax increase. And mm-hmm. I think that the president's opponents are going to have to harp on that. Very disheartening. Now, also in the Inflation Reduction Act, as talked about a lot by the Midnight Ride, but also by House Republicans, was a massive increase in the funding to the Internal Revenue Service. And the way it was billed was that in order to make, quote unquote, rich people pay their fair share, they were going to add 87,000 new employees, read agents, many of them, if not most of them, to the IRS staff. And Kevin McCarthy, after the 15th vote for House Speaker, which he finally won at one in the morning, He said, our first order of business is to rescind that funding and to to defund those IRS agents. Now, in case you hadn't heard, the House in their first vote voted 221 to 210, party lines vote, to claw back, as Politico says, to claw back more than 70 billion of, I think it was 84 or 85 billion that was earmarked in the Inflation Reduction Act. So basically, the $70 billion is, is for those employees. There still would be money for some of the new computer systems and other things, but the Senate will not take this up. And so what is going to happen, I think, Paul, is that this fall, when the fiscal year 2024 budgets are voted upon in the House and the Senate, the House will once again vote to take the money away for the 87,000 agents. And the Senate, well, they won't do that, right? Because they have a numerical advantage there. And so we will have a standoff. And again, McCarthy made a lot of concessions to the Freedom Caucus and some of the, let's say, uh, people who hate taxes the most in the GOP. And so I think this could be an issue where there's going to be a game of chicken played between the White House, Chuck Schumer, and Kevin McCarthy, and I think the Republicans could threaten to shut down the government over this. They very well could, and I actually think that they should. 
Agreed. You know, I mean, I think the the IRS with 87,000 new agents is going to make life impossible for everybody. Um, I had a friend actually that we used to work at the IRS and supervised agents. And she told me, really, all the agents care about, all they're judged on is how much money they can recover. So their goal is just to recover as much money as possible. And that's all they care about. They don't really care about the taxpayer. They don't care about privacy. They don't care about anything. It's like, I just want money. I need to get that money on my my evaluation to show how much money I recovered more than the agent next to me so that I can get promoted. And that's really what they were looking at that, uh, you know, is such a big problem. And you add 87,000 more of those and everybody from poor people on up are going to be getting, are going to be getting audited all the time. So that's a real, a real big issue. And I got a real problem with it. And it's not only, you know, the bigger issue with taxes is what does the government spend it on? Right. I mean, I think we all know it's a black hole. The government's never audited. I almost wouldn't mind paying money to the government if I knew it was being used correctly, but it's just wasted on millions of employees that don't do any work. And we talk about it every week. Look, the federal government in fiscal year 2022, and I I think that's the last records that we have, spent more than six trillion dollars. Okay. And that's a lot of money. Why do they need more? I mean, we have seen, I think in this past year, Paul, and correct me if I'm wrong, the IRS is now going after small transactions using Venmo, PayPal, whatever. So like, I think the threshold might be like 600 bucks. So you could have somebody who's like maybe a teenager who's got a lawnmower. And I've seen these in my neighborhood where you have a dad dropping off their teenage son or daughter in house after house, and they're just mowing lawns for, for 30 bucks a piece. You know, that could add up. Maybe it hits the $600 threshold. Maybe it doesn't. Federal government's coming after them. They may not be coming after Jeff Bezos or Jeffrey Epstein before he, before he got busted, but they will come after the hairstylist. They will come after the dog walker or the lawnmower. And, and that's just I, in the spirit of what you would think that the Democratic Party stands for. You'd think they wouldn't do that, but that's exactly what they're doing. Exactly what they're doing. And it's shameful. And I feel like it almost is making the company, it, it's almost making like this country uninvestable. Like, I don't even know how you could do business here with a government that's getting so, that's just getting so overbearing. There's two other things I want to talk about here. One is the legacy of President Donald Trump, because, you know, his crowning achievement or one of them, I mean, he actually, if you sit down and look at, there's many of them, but one was the tax reform, because the exact phenomena that you described about what happens when these businesses have to pay more taxes, well, we saw what happens when they have to pay less taxes. It supercharges investment and infrastructure and more employment. But I think we're starting to see, and we're going to see in, in 2023 with these new taxes, the reverse of that. The Biden administration is heavily touting these low employment numbers. But the fact is, is that you've got about a third of all working age, healthy adult males who are idle. And I think you're going to start to see corporations who are burdened by these increased taxes start to not only pass on the cost to us, but also to reduce staff. Without a doubt. I know it's uh, it's a real problem. And our government is the worst for it. And 
they continue to come up with ingenious ways to take our money, unfortunately. Well, one of those ways we're going to get into in our next segment. And we talked about this a little bit last year, and it involves state and local governments essentially putting a lien on or coming to take your home for small amounts of taxes owed. And so if you're interested in protecting your home or what the Supreme Court is going to be hearing related to this case, you're not going to want to miss our next segment when we come back on The Midnight Run. Paul, we're back. Like many Americans, I own a home. Like many Americans, or like a smaller amount of Americans, you own more than one home. But you were telling us last year that your mom got a letter from, I think it was the District of Columbia government, about a small amount of money she owed. And it was like, if you don't pay this in five days or something, uh, we're taking your house. it, It wasn't exactly that extreme, but it was pretty jolting and pretty shocking. You want to explain that one? And then I don't, I think you might, you, I know your mom isn't, but I know you are probably on some sort of administration watch list. So I, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical of these sorts of things, but you also got a letter. Why don't you tell both those stories and explain this issue for us? Yeah. So my mom gets this letter that she owes property taxes and the city said that they were going to sell her pro- her house because of the unpaid property taxes. She'd never gotten a bill in the mail or anything. She didn't really know about it. And she just went to the city and they're like, well, you didn't pay, so we're selling it. She had to hire an attorney and eventually they didn't sell it and she settled, but it costed her a lot of money. So it's interesting that a city or a state can do that. They're actually allowed, let's say you owe $3,000 in property taxes they're actually allowed to do the uh, to take your house if you don't pay the property taxes. And we talked about in that segment, Paul, that some of the amounts owed were three thousand. Some were far less than that. And these some of these homes are in the hundreds of thousands of dollars of value. And it just seems almost to the point of absurdity that something like this could happen. Especially, you know, if in your mom's case she didn't receive the letter in the mail, there could be a lot of reasons why people didn't even know about it. So, what happened to you? Exactly. So I, now this actually, you know, nobody threatened to take away my house or anything. Yet. But, uh, yet. (laughs) However, I got something in the mail and it said, we realize that you're, so I have a couple rental properties, right? That I own that, you know, I rent them out to make some extra income. And I have furniture there. I rent them out furnished. There's appliances. And I get letter from the county in North Carolina, saying essentially, we've noticed that you have a business at this address, which is a rental property. North Carolina says that if you have a business, you need to pay taxes every single year, not only on the property, but on all of the items furnished in the property. So that's appliances, refrigerator, stove, any furniture that's in there. Wait a minute. First of all, where did you get this letter? Did you get it at the property in North Carolina or somewhere else? No, it got sent it got sent to my regular house. So I didn't get sent to the property because they have like my address on file. Okay. So some employee in North Carolina is charged with or and this is not a state employee. This is a county employee, right? This is county, yes. Yeah. So some county employee is on 
Zillow and Airbnb and, and some of these, you know, websites looking for properties that are being used to generate revenue and then contacting the owners. Now, I assume that for a house in North Carolina, let's say that the toaster and the refrigerator and the 70-inch plasma television were purchased in North Carolina. Is that a fair assumption? Yes, and I paid 7% sales tax in North Carolina when I bought those. So you paid taxes to the government in North Carolina for all of those items. How can they tax you again? Well, very easy, because they're the government, and they can do whatever they want. And apparently they consider your property their property. So essentially, the way it works is they take the value of all those items, and then they add it to the value of your house for your property tax bill. So let's say your property tax bill, let's say it's like 1% of the value of your home. Mm -hmm. So they take the value of that furniture and essentially you're paying 1% tax every single year. So in theory, you would end up paying more in taxes over you know, a long period of time than you actually paid for the furniture. And if you do not pay the taxes on the furniture, they can take your entire house for the tax bill and not give it back to you. Okay, so wh while the letter to you did not say the same thing that it said to your mom, essentially, you had a gun to your head. Exactly. They, I mean, there's nothing you can do. And what's really timely is just a couple days ago, the Supreme Court decided to take up a case on this. And you and I on the Midnight Ride talked about this case when it was in front of the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. And they actually said that uh, it's not that the state can take your house and that it's not considered personal property that's determined at the state level, which is a complete misinterpretation, I think, the Constitution. Uh, there's something in called the takings clause in the Constitution, which says that you can't take your property away. And they actually ran roughshod and states have gone completely, just stomped all over it. And the Supreme Court has decided to take it up. They're going to address this Fifth Amendment, which uh, the way it reads is, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation, is the way it is. Essentially, you don't have, you haven't paid your property tax. The city, the state is saying they can take your house and not even give you, say, let's say you owe $5,000 in taxes and your house is worth a million dollars. Theoretically, they could take your house, sell it, and give you everything back, give you the money back minus the 5000 so $995,000. That's the way I read what that clause says. Yeah, but many states just take the house completely and don't give it back at all and take all the money. So that just compensation, see, I think the just compensation would be the deterrent for governments because, you know, to go through and sell it, it might be more trouble than it's worth to get that $5,000 because, you know, Legally, I think somebody could say, well, hey, my house is appraised at this value. And then if the government doesn't get that value, they could be actually in arrears. It just seems like this is a very important sticking point. And hopefully the people win in this Supreme Court case. I hope so. It started, I believe it was like a 93-year-old widow in Minnesota. We, we talked about this case who owed $2,000 in property taxes on, I believe, a house that was worth about $50,000. And they just took her whole house and didn't give it back. And she was left homeless. See, because this is the she, kind she of... Because she couldn't afford the property tax. 
This is why some people consider taxation to be legalized theft. And again, it's the people who are the most vulnerable, the least represented, who don't have the team of lawyers, who either are working 50, 60 hours a week, or they're indigent and old, and they don't, they really can't fend off the power of the government. It's interesting you bring that up, because we go back to the first segment where we talk about some of those new taxes and all those 87,000 IRS agents. They're just going to go after poor and middle-class people for taking the child tax credit or things like that, because they know that poor people don't have the money to hire the accountants and the lawyers and everything else, and they can just take all this money. Once you go after somebody really rich, you just think you get tied up for 20 years in the courts with all the expensive lawyers. So you're right on that. Yeah, it's low-hanging fruit for them. Because again, if, if there's going to be a fight, that takes resources. And, and like you said, these agents are saying, I'm getting judged on my success. My success is how much revenue, I mean, this is the internal revenue service. How much can I bring in? And so it's very easy to pick off these small businesses and poor people and elderly people. And, you know, some of these elderly people, in some rare cases, they don't even have family members that can help them out. It's all very sad. And so now what do we do about it? I mean, I think, you know, when you when you think about the staggering amount of taxes that are taken, Americans, you know, since the passing of, and what was it, Paul? I know, you know, we're the constitutional show, but was it the 16th Amendment or which amendment was it that sort of formalized federal income tax, et cetera? Yeah, the 16th Amendment allowed Congress to levy an income tax without apportioning it among the states. And this was 1909. Okay, so, and of course, I think it was President Lincoln, too, during the Civil War that took some measures to take, you know, taxes to fund the war. That was understandable for folks. It was more of a temporary thing. But basically, for over a century now, Americans have gotten accustomed to the idea of paying taxes. And one of the things that I think helps make it easy to become accustomed to is it's not like you get your your check or you go in to see the foreman and he hands you a couple hundred dollars and says, good week, we'll see you on Monday. And then you get a tax bill and you have to go physically deliver your money. No, the government's taking it out before you even see it. And so people have just sort of become used to paying these taxes and there's one thing to pay federal taxes, but what you describe, what happened to you, what happened to your mother, what happened to that 92-year-old woman, I mean, it's, it's beyond the pale. So how do we fight back? Well, first of all, let's hope the Supreme Court rules favorably. And at the very least, what the Supreme Court is going to do is just say that if they're going to take your house, they just can only take the amount that, that they owe in taxes, and then they have to give you the rest of the money for your house. I really don't believe that the government should be able to take your house because what good is private property if you're forced to pay taxes on it every year? Well, yeah. And I tell you, if they do rule against that and the government is allowed to take people's homes for small amounts of tax bills due, I hope for the sake of some of these IRS agents that they're coming in a Bradley fighting vehicle or a tank because in some states in the union, they're not going to be able to take that house without no. Without shedding some blood. And I'm that's not a threat. That's just, it's so wrong. And people, their home is all they've got. They're not going to give it up without a fight if the government tries to steal it. Exactly. And they, we really need fundamental tax reform in this country. And we'll have to do an entire episode, I think, at some point on 
what a tax reform plan and what good streamlined taxes look like in this country. It's my personal opinion that income taxes and property taxes shouldn't even exist. I think you could do a situation where when you buy a house and when you sell a house, you maybe pay some sort of tax payment or the buyer of a house pays tax sort of like a sales tax. And that's it. That's sort of the end of it. So you pay the tax when you buy the house. And then after that, you don't pay taxes anymore. I also think a national sales tax would help. So you're paying taxes on what you buy, what you, what you use. But right now, property tax and income tax is become so convoluted and so unfair that it's hurting businesses, it's hurting individuals, and it's making the United States less competitive. And it's encouraging a big bloated government. You know, and it's not hurting some individuals, right? I mean, the party of the billionaires, the Democratic Party, I mean, there's a lot of folks like Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, the list goes on and on and on of people whose wealth actually increased during the pandemic. And they received favorable treatment during the pandemic. Stores like Best Buy and and other major conglomerates were not shut down, while these same small businesses that are bearing the brunt of these tax changes were crushed and devastated. The American people often vote in favor of tax reform and lower taxes. I think the election of Donald Trump in 2016 can be attributed to that. And I think the House of Representatives shifting hands in this last election is also partly in response to this idea on the Democrats that they're somehow entitled to your money. The taxes that you talk about, income tax, it's a federal tax. Property taxes are a local and state tax. And so we all know that if we want our federal income tax to go down, we need to elect people running for the House of Representatives and the Senate, perhaps, that share our views on taxes. People like Rand Paul and and some of these members of the Freedom Caucus. But at the state level, it's not only in your state legislature, people like state representatives, state senators, things like that, but there's also these county boards of supervisors. Every single American needs to understand who has the authority under state constitutions to levy these kinds of taxes. And all politics is local and And the most important initiatives quite often are these local issues. I think there's a lot of people who've been hit by these kind of taxes that wish that they were paying attention to these board of supervisors races and and other very local races where they find out later that these people can tax you, Paul. They really can. I feel like they just, people have got to realize the power that the government and some of these leaders have, and they're just... Uh, They just want to create their own fiefdoms and get more and more money. And that's how they think. I feel like we've got to do something about it. And the only way we do it is through tax reform. And uh, unfortunately, it seems to me that the Freedom Caucus is really the only um, thing out there that uh, is, they're the only people fighting for any kind of reform. And they're just a small number at the end of the day. Well, we, we strongly here at the Midnight Ride, we strongly urge you to take a very close look in these coming few pay periods about how much you're keeping and how much how far that goes. And just ask yourself, could the federal government do with a little less money than $6.27 trillion? What do they need it for? Because 
I need to buy eggs. <laughs> well, when we come back, another big issue. This one's a little bit cultural, but it also speaks to the future of our civilization. Education, who runs it and what kind of education our children should receive will go down to Florida for a very important story involving Governor Ron DeSantis. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Midnight Ride. Paul here. When I was in high school, I was looking at colleges, and I think as many of you know, I went to the University of Michigan. But my father had lived in Florida, so I had access to the in-state tuition. And one school that my father and my stepmother recommended that I go to was called the New College of Florida, a small liberal arts school in Sarasota, Florida, which uh, is it's a pretty progressive school. My parents were extreme liberals, I think, as we've talked about many <laughs> times before. And they encouraged me to go to this school. I didn't want to go. It wasn't my, my thing. I wanted to go to a big state school. But it's interesting that it was a school that nobody had really heard of, this kind of little school that's funded by the state. And all of I hadn't heard about it ever since. And then just this past week, I'm hearing New College of Florida all over the news again. Isn't that right, Connor? Yeah, this is a, this is a very interesting story. And of course, the governor of Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis, has been on a crusade to eliminate certain ideologies from government schools or state-funded schools in Florida. And we saw that with the Parental Rights and Education Act that passed. And now Governor DeSantis is looking at maybe making a statement and, and perhaps starting a trend in his state universities with the new college in Florida. The governor this past week appointed six new members to the university's board of trustees. Now, this board of trustees, six members would give an ideological majority to whomever the governor put in place. And among these trustees, he appointed the, the vice president of Hills, Hillsdale College, Mr. Matthew Spaulding. I'm sure that you're familiar with Hillsdale College. We've talked about it a lot on the Midnight Ride. Great football team, by the way. <laughs> the Chargers, yes. And also the from the Manhattan Institute, journalist and activist Christopher Ruffo, who has been an incredible force in exposing the rot and corruption and the horrible ideologies of critical race theory, which is a racist ideology that hurts all children, and also radical gender theory. So Christopher Ruffo on the board of trustees, along with another person from Claremont Institute, as well as the vice president of Hillsdale and three other individuals, which give Governor DeSantis and parents who are interested in a classic education in the Western intellectual tradition, instead of these woke Marxist and leftist ideologies. I think it's good news, but the governor's in for a fight because the teachers unions in Florida and the, the I guess the state education unions, which number in the thousands, maybe 20,000, 25,000, they're going to fight this, Paul. They are going to fight it. It's, uh, they're now going to war with him over this. They are seeing a complete threat to their way of life and their the way that they like to teach and the way they like to indoctrinate. But one thing I'd like to say is, this is such a good idea that Governor DeSantis had. 
why haven't any of the other Republican governors been doing this? Like, well, I saw Governor DeSantis, he made Ben Sass the Republican, you know, obviously no love lost between him and Trump, but still a good Republican, solid Republican uh, senator. And he, who has a record as a university president, yeah, a, a and, university system president, which I think he has now taken over the Florida university system, correct? Or yeah, University of Florida. University of Florida. In Specifically. Gainesville. And so what I want to... Where is Governor Abbott? Where is Governor DeWine in Ohio? You know, where are these Republican governors? Why aren't they doing this? Why is only, why didn't Doug Ducey do it in Arizona? Why is this only Governor DeSantis? I mean, are, are all the other governors too afraid to do something like this? I mean, to me, when we've been talking about culture war and education, it's been what we've been talking about for years. This is the kind of action we want to see. And to me, it's a little disappointing that, we're only seeing it in Florida. Well, I was listening to an interview with the Daily Wire that DeSantis did, where the reporter, Megan Basham, asked him uh, about these unions and the fight that he faces ahead. And he just sort of laughed and he said, hey, listen, I have a mandate. I was elected by the biggest margin ever in the history of an election here in Florida, over 1.5 million votes. This is a mandate. The people of Florida want this. They're sick of this crap. If you look at the state universities, I, I believe Forbes did a, you know, they were looking, or maybe it was U.S. News and World Report. No, I think it was Forbes. They did a, an analysis of all the universities in Florida. And the new College of Florida was highlighted as being the worst return on investment for parents. Because, I mean, they were just basically... Well, that's where you get the degree in gender studies and... Worthless degree, exactly. And and lots of and debt on top of it. And nationally, we have seen a decline in college enrollment. Some of that was due to the fact that many of these universities stopped doing in-person classes and seminars, and it was all virtual for much of 2020 and, and 21. Now, they're back in class, but it still hasn't recovered. But we do see colleges like Hillsdale and others who their applications and enrollments have exploded because parents want their children to be educated in the traditional way, to get degrees that matter, and again, to be taught how to think in the traditions, uh, you know, where you have the Greek philosophers and, and people like, you know, Locke and Rousseau and all these people, and not people like Marx and Kendi and some of these other faux intellectuals and and, and fake historians. And I think, to answer your question, Paul, I think the reason why some of these other governors haven't done it is because, A, it's hard. A, a guy like Kemp or Ducey, you know, they're in these sort of purplish states. They don't have the luxury. Now, DeSantis had to work to make Florida the way it, it is, and he had well, to— Well, remember, he won only by 36,000 votes in his first election. That's right. Now, some of these people would do good to realize that the reason why this has swung from 36,000 to 1.5 million is because he took on this education fight. I think Glenn Young can, in Virginia realizes this, and he's going. He's only got one term, so you may see him follow suit. Christy Nome just got elected for her second term. Maybe she might try something like this, but I think they're going to watch and see how this plays out, maybe, before they dip their toes into the water. I think they are. And there's another interesting thing that Governor DeSantis has done with regard to collegiate education just this week. 
So I don't know if that is kind of related to this. So I don't know if you've seen this, but the College Board, that's the group that runs the SAT and the Advanced Placement Program. So for those of you with kids in high school, they can take AP classes and you get college credit uh, when you take these AP classes. The College Board has just announced an AP class in African-American studies, which gives you college credit for taking a course in African-American studies. The mainstream press has been all over it. Applauding it. Applauding it, of course, right? Yeah. Look, I don't have any problem with studying history of Blacks in the United States or any uh, race or ethnicity at all in the U.S. in their history. Well, I kind of do. Well, I mean, I think there's a plight. I think it's important for people to know about certain things. Of course, but that should be part of American history. It's sort of like this whole idea of Black History Month. You know, I mean, black history is American history. And so uh, I was at a school board meeting and we were talking about CRT and this idiot got up there. And, and you know, what they try to do, Paul, is they try to say that right wingers like, like Connor Coughlin are trying to stop. They're trying to whitewash history and stop the teaching of African-American history. And my response to that was, no, we're not. And if I ever find out that you're not teaching about the Tuskegee Tuskegee Project and and Reconstruction and the civil rights fights of the 50s and 60s, I'll be down here to pull my kids out of the school because that is an essential part of American history. But when you put it off as its own class, I'm from California, so they have Chicano studies and now it's probably called Latinx studies. I don't know. But they have all of these little niche classes about these different groups. And I think I think that leads to tribalism. No, I think you have a really good point, and I think Governor DeSantis would agree with you. And the letter that was written from the Florida Department of Education's Office of Articulation wrote to the College Board saying, quote, as presented, the content of this course is inexplicably contrary to Florida law and significantly lacks educational value. In the future, should the College Board be willing to come back to the table with lawful, historically accurate content, FDOE will always be willing to reopen the discussion. So to give you an idea of of what was in this course, they actually have somebody, the course suggests rejecting colorblindness, that it suggests reading CRT advocate Eduardo Bonilla Silva, best known for his theory of colorblind racism. He, uh, there's another person in here that, is an acolyte, let's see, uh, Jonathan Joshua Myers, who's a member of the curriculum writing team for that course, uh, whose expertise covers the final quarter of the course, is an acolyte of Cedric Robert Robinson, author of Black Marxism, The Making of the Black Radical Tradition. So this course to me does not sound like run-of-the-mill African-American history. It sounds like Marxism, radicalism, socialism, wrapped up in the guise of history. And I applaud Governor DeSantis for rejecting this class. And it's actually the first time ever that a state has rejected an AP class from the College Board. It's never happened before. So once again, Governor DeSantis leading the way. And it would be great if we could see some other governors doing the same thing. Because I'm sure sure if, if all of the Republican governors said, we're not going to accept this class in our state, they'd probably withdraw it as an AP course uh, nationwide. Perhaps, but they are afraid. I mean, this 
notion of white guilt is so powerful and it is being it is being used by extremists but i mean i'm so sick of this paul i mean i don't you probably remember this back in 2020 this was during the quote unquote reckoning after the the death of george floyd there was a tweet from a guy by the name of byron york who was affiliated with the national museum of african american history and culture and he tweeted out the National Museum of African American History and Culture wants you aware to make you aware of certain signs of whiteness. Individualism, hard work, objectivity, the nuclear family, progress, respect for authority, delayed gratification, and more, and, and suggesting that these were dangerous symptoms of, quote, whiteness. David Duke couldn't have done something that that bad, but these notions of you know, what constitutes African-American values and this and that. I mean, I'm sick of this kind of stuff, but it is so deeply rooted in not only academia at the collegiate level, but it is seeping into a lot of public schools, government-run schools at states all across the nation. That is why Governor Murphy nearly lost in New Jersey. That is why Youngkin defied the odds and won in Virginia. And that is why Ron DeSantis is the most popular governor in America, because Parents are afraid. They want their children to get a good education that deals with the subjects that we all learned when we were growing up. And by the way, that largely includes black parents, Hispanic parents, because they understand what their children need to get ahead. Governor DeSantis should be applauded. Let's see where this goes. But as he pointed out, the state of Florida has a constitution. It says that the governor appoints these boards of regents, et cetera. So I, I wish these teachers' unions all the luck, but why did he do it? Well, he did it, A, because it was the right thing to do, but he knows that just like what happened with Disney, you know, they're going to expose themselves for what they really are, and he's going to gain more cachet politically, and I think this could help him in 2024, Paul. I think it could, and I, I feel like the culture war is a winning issue for him. And it's not only a culture war, it's he's on the right side of history doing this. He is. And this is a war. You know, when you say culture war, it's almost I mean, I don't I know you don't mean it this way, but it's almost sort of dismissive of the gravity of the situation. This is a fight for the soul of America and the idea of merit, which we talked about, you know, in our last edition of The Midnight Ride is so critical and, and colorblindness, which you mentioned before. That's important too. I don't know how we get there, but it's certainly not the path that's being offered by people like Ibram X. Kendi and those types of people. Final thoughts, Paul? Interesting episode we did today. You know, I like talking about big government and taxes. We don't do it that much. Well, we talk about big government, but taxes <laughs> is it's another one. And, and I really like this one. So, you know, it's a great one. We're going to keep things going. We're going to keep talking about issues that are important to you. And, uh, Make sure if you live in Chicago, don't vote for Lori Lightfoot on February 28th. I just saw she's behind in the polls. Amen. Now, we, to our listeners in, in the Windy City, please uh, keep that in mind. And, you know, if you have any taxes you'd like to tell us about, you can write us at the Midnight Ride Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Midnight Ride Pod. Our DMs are open. We'd love to hear from you. And we absolutely love that you come along every week for the Midnight Ride as we continue to tell you and sound the alarm about the threats to your freedoms 
For Paul Runyon, I'm Connor Coughlin. Thank you for joining us. Have a great week, and we will see you next week on The Midnight Run. Bye-bye.